Episode one of Adult Music. Hello, world. Here we are. This is pretty amazing. Yes, it is a new project for us, and we'll be broadcasting our thoughts and impressions of a variety of music, mostly classical and jazz releases, uh, on a regular basis from our secret location in Japan. Yeah, our secret location in Japan. You yeah. probably already guessed we're Japanese. Yeah, we're not. We're we're both no. American. We should say that right yes, off the top of that. that. We as live a, in Japan. We're both Americans. As a disclaimer. That's yeah, right. as a disclaimer. Okay, so um, <laughs> I guess we should talk about ourselves first and let people know who we are. First of all, I'm I'm Michael. You are Russ. Yeah. Okay. There we go. All right. So um, why why are we doing this? What do you think? Well, let's see. How long have we known each other? Must be more than 20 years. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's a long time. Yes. And we've been, mm. uh, although we have different backgrounds concerning musical things, we have a lot of uh, uh, overlap in terms of interests. So we've always shared uh, musical recordings and information about music that we like over the time. Yeah, music is our bond, I would say. That's right. That's yeah. right. And we also see how it relates to the rest of life and uh, get other topics from there. So that's what we would hope to do here is not only talk about uh, music that we right. think people should check out, but other issues uh, with technology and um, decisions related to musical releases and the way that we listen to music and other people listen to music and how it's changed uh, over the time that we've been doing this. So. Right. So, Russ, you uh, you actually have a musical background. You want to kind of tell well, us a little I, about I that? I started as a um, trumpet player right back in elementary school and uh, played in uh, a variety of musical ensembles, classical music, jazz music. Now, why'd you choose the trumpet? Uh, actually, I wanted to play saxophone <laughs> like everyone else. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in the lottery system, trumpet was number two. Mm. And so I got the second choice of trumpet. Oh, the lottery system. Huh? Yeah, the lottery system. And then in high school, I started uh, taking piano lessons as well and continued that in university and studied music for a while. And uh, yeah, then I went off on other ways. I figured it wasn't going to be the best uh, career path, but I always kept an interest in it. And then uh, as I got a little older, I expanded uh, into playing guitar and uh, singing and writing songs, too. So, yeah, to this day, um, I don't play too much trumpet anymore these days, but uh, I do enjoy more variety of music than I ever have before. So uh, more classical music, jazz, and lots of other things, too. So, yeah, that's where I am and doing a lot of listening these days in the corona era so <laughs> yeah have you always been interested in music from since the time you were really young or? my first sentence that's recorded in the baby book yeah as american mothers have is mommy turn on the radio oh good so there you go okay. so over to you now then all right so for me oh 
I I my earliest memory was watching a turntable spin and just being fascinated that there was music coming out of this thing. So I don't know, I was really hooked right from the beginning. Right. But you don't watch those turntables anymore. No, I don't. No. I'm more more digitally oriented yes. these days. I don't yeah. We'll talk about that some other time. Some other time. Um let's see. I um took piano lessons when I was younger. And I apparently didn't like them, but then later on, I kind of really started liking the piano. I wanted to do it again. And uh, I never really made any headway on it because we moved and I, you know, yeah, I was, I'm, to this day, I'm still lazy. I don't really practice much. But um, so I have a little bit of a background in like classical music. I was just interested in it since I was young. Nobody in my family likes it, only me. Right. I don't right. know how that happened, but uh, I, I have these, I, I'm complete, I'm just, the, I'm completely different than everyone else in my family. No, no, you know, I'm, there are gene mutations. Yes. Yeah, that so, must be me. Okay. Be. So anyway, when I went to college, I was still into music. I um, played in rock bands. I played the bass. So, so I had piano and electric bass. And uh, just some, you know, I played with friends in college. And then my big claim to fame was to have played in the punk band. I guess you call them punk band. We were kind of more of a... They're punk these days, but they were more like a DIY sort of garage band when I started with them. Moto, Masters of the Obvious, and they're still going. You can check them out. Uh, wow. Paul, Paul Caparino's band. So I was in that band from 1988 to 1989. Uh, I'd like that noted, please, because they've made a mark. <laughs> I hope you get. I hope you get the royalties when uh, the rest of the catalog is. Uh, no, I don't. No, that's not. That's not my uh, area. <laughs> okay. So anyway, after that, I, I was also working at um, WBUR, National Public Radio at Boston University, and I was an audio engineer. And one of my duties was to go to, oh, you know, twist my arm, go to concerts at night, classical concerts around the Boston area. Um, and um, I should mention, I'm from New York originally, so I went to U Boston University. And uh, I recorded the concerts, and then the next morning I had to... Um, get them prepared to be broadcast on the air and that's how I really learned the classical repertoire I just got to hear all this music right. all the time so I had the class the, the piano background and then there was um you know that job and um yeah so yeah all those all those early mornings just listening to to the classics you know mostly it was mostly repertoire stuff there was some new uh some new compute poses which we'll get into eventually in future future episodes and um from there, let me see. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I just go. I was uh, really hooked, and I, you know, I, I just really became a big classical music listener. Um, when I once I came to Japan, I did um, a master's degree not here in Japan, but at, uh, through the mail actually at uh, California State University Dominguez Hills uh, in uh, near LA. I guess I never actually physically went there, but I got a master's degree. My my bachelor's degree was in communications. At Boston University, but I got a master's degree in uh, humanities with a concentration in music. So now I can actually teach music at the uh, you know the history and the language of music at the uh, what would you call it? community college level, I oh, guess. Wow. But I've never done that. Wow. <laughs> so oh, you know, Very good. My parents wanted me to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, and needless to say, I didn't become any of those things. No, so, and I didn't become a musician either. Although. Uh, I just, you know, we didn't plan what we would say in our introduction, but I, I was, uh, when I was in high school, yeah. I was at the first um, Downbeat Magazine Music Fest um, I remember competition. You showed me Yeah, this, I showed um, you that. Yeah. And um, 
I was there a year above me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was a junior in high school. Uh, and I, I won a soloist award there. But I think um, uh, the overall winners were uh, Roy Hargrove mm-hmm. and Joey uh, DeFrancisco. Uh, and so we were all high school students at the time. And I was on stage with those guys in, in the end, you know. Christian and, McBride uh, was in that group too, right? That's right. Christian yeah. McBride was there yeah, as well. Yeah. That's right. So that was yeah. 1987. Um, and uh, so it was a very inspirational experience. And uh, the only, other than, you know, gigs, the uh, only official m- music-related job I had was as an ASCAP copyright investigator. <laughs> and maybe I will share that story in a future episode um, and on a couple uh, investigations, I was almost uh, uh, bludgeoned with a shillelagh by an Irish bar <laughs> owner. And, you uh, should just tell that story now. I mean, well, you're already given the punchline. So yeah, well, that, yeah, that, we had to show up at a, an Irish bar, and um, we were obviously the only ones who weren't uh, Irish there, <laughs> the regular customers. And then um, we, you, you had to. Um, make a, a map of the uh, establishment. And normally, uh, well, you would go either for live music or uh, jukebox. Mm-hmm. You weren't allowed to play the jukebox, but if other people recorded uh, played a song on the jukebox, you would record what mm-hmm. they played. And so if you had musical knowledge, you know, you would know the names of these pop songs without having to go over and check. And also had a, a mini tape recorder, you know, it was high tech uh, back Ooh. in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so you could say, you know, um, 815, um, Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band, yeah. uh, old time rock and roll or something like that. Right. And uh, try not to be uh, caught. But when we were in Irish uh, bar, it was like, and next is the ballad of, you know, Paddy O'Grady. What? Does this have a copyright? We, we, didn't, we didn't know what was going on. And uh, anyway, we collected the evidence and I heard that when the... Um, I don't know if they send a lawyer or a representative of the office that uh, the uh, bar owner picked up his uh, stick and smashed all the glasses and said, that's friggin' bastards. I knew that. So we never showed a face in there again. And then another time uh, when we we were supposed to go to a live music event uh, up in the the mountains in northern New York, uh, the band canceled. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we didn't know what to do because we had driven a few hours there. And um, so we stayed around and we figured we would get uh, jukebox information anyway, because apparently this establishment hadn't uh, renewed their license. But uh, on the way out of there, we, I knew of a party happening local, locally. A friend of mine was staying at a camp and um, we encountered a dead body uh, in the road. Well, it sounds like an exciting yes. life. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> we didn't know what to do. And we uh, drove back to the town and reported to the police, who immediately uh, drove off and didn't ask us any questions, which we thought was strange. But anyway, apparently there was a uh, a uh, spousal feud and uh, <laughs> resulted in uh, someone driving over their wife and leaving their on the road there. Yeah, so horrible. Yeah, that was the, that was the last time. Uh, that was the last job I did for them, I think. But yeah. uh, anyway, yeah. Unlike, uh, unlike, uh, well, at least you reported it to the police, though. Unlike, yes, we did. Uh, the guys fishing in that movie, and oh, I'm not thinking of the name now. The uh, Robert Altman movie. What was it? Oh. Huey Lewis was in that scene. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, Huey Lewis. Yeah, yeah. he he was one of the fishing fishing guys. They didn't they yeah. they stayed and fish while the while this dead body was floating in the uh, pool. I'm gonna think of it later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? 
Anyway, that was oh, just well. a, another interesting experience related to music that uh, I yeah. wouldn't have had. Yes. Yeah, so. so how did you get into classical music? Was that always a well, thing? Well, um, I had studied... Um, you know, trumpet uh, just in school. And of course, you're mainly playing with, uh, you know, concert band. So it's uh, brass band music. Mm -hmm. And then in high school, I started uh, taking uh, more serious lessons with uh, symphony uh, trumpet player. Mm -hmm. And then uh, did my audition for university as a performance major. I think I played, uh, what did I play? The Hindemith. Right. And maybe, maybe I did two uh, recorded for my audition for that. So... Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed classical trumpet playing, but uh, probably I enjoyed uh, uh, jazz more. Yeah. I played uh, I played lead in the lead trumpet in the Empire State Youth Orchestra uh, in my uh, last year of uh, high school. But I kind of, it kind of hurt my chops from all that high note playing. So after that, I started to want to you know play more of uh, improvisation and solo chairs, get out of that uh, competitive speech right. playing. But, uh, yeah, for me, my my father was a. I think he was a bit of a jazz fan, although I never never heard him playing jazz records around the house. He he liked Frank Sinatra a lot. Oh, okay. But uh, he had this great record collection, like of cool jazz. Like um, he had a lot of Jerry Mulligan. He oh, liked right, uh, right. the baritone sax and Stan Getz. I, so I heard Stan Getz from because uh, I used to dig into his record collection and you know play them and scratch up all their records because i was a kid you know but uh i don't know then later i so i when i by the time i was in college i was just an omnivore i was listening to everything like you know everything that came out including all the jazz and in the 80s when i was in college it wasn't really i wasn't really terribly interested in what was happening in jazz it was kind of Wynton marsalis was just starting so they they were going down that sort of conservative yeah route. the new retro jazz. yeah the new retro jazz and uh yeah I, I like that more now but at the time it wasn't really saying much to me and then it was really the th I, the reason why I really wanted to talk about like jazz a lot lately is because of uh, 2015 the Kamasi Washington album came out the the epic the, was that right. what it's called the I epic? think so okay. there were several of them that you bought that I listened to yeah. yeah I should look this up so I don't get the names wrong and uh, that made me start exploring jazz oh this sounds pretty good I bet there's a lot of other good stuff out there so I started listening to you know like Brad Meldow I found him um you know, going through back catalogs and stuff like that, and so now I'm kind of interested in jazz too. Although my knowledge of that doesn't isn't as deep as it is in classical music. So right. there you go. We're going to talk about um, this kind of music. Um, so we're going to call we're calling this podcast adult music. That's right. All right, and uh, we should probably talk about why we decided on that name. Why did we decide on that name? Well, I think it's because a lot of the stuff I hear on uh, the top 40... Is positively infantile. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of... Um, it, well, it's, it's, it's kind of simply constructed. A lot of the, uh, the chords... I, I don't feel like... Um, you know, we I I've seen like Rick Beato talk about this a lot. A yes, lot of a lot the of same four chords. Yeah, the same four chords yes. are used in all these different songs, and that wasn't the case in pop music. You know, when I was growing up in the seventies, no, not at or, all, or in the sixties either. You know, if you listen to Beatles songs, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in those songs. Yeah, and that's not the case anymore. So we want to kind of. Uh, we I think we want to talk to people who are kind of you know getting up there in years as we are, and. Um, you know, just kind of encourage you to listen to some music that's a little more complicated that maybe will speak a little bit more to um, our modern yes. 
yeah. something that's or not our current state, let's say, as aging individuals. It's not disposable music. Not but, disposable. Uh, yeah, something, something that's going to have some lasting value. That might tell you something, you know, and, about you know, as streaming has uh, gained prominence as the main way that people listen to music, and since you can practically listen to almost anything, anytime, yeah. um, you would think the result would be you know a large variety of music. Uh, entering into the average listener's experience. But I've read several articles uh, saying that's the opposite, that actually, especially if you're using the recommended algorithms, that people mm. end up listening more to the same things that other people are listening to, Yeah, uh, which is kind of sad. So I hope that um, you know the things we share on here, if they might not be familiar with to other people, that uh, it could be a way of discovery, um, you know, uh, we'll do the searching and, uh, you know, take a listen um, right. If it sounds appealing to you. So what are we going to be sharing on here? We're not going to be uh, doing too much crate digging. Okay. So as far as um, as far as classical music goes, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of looking at uh, albums released in the last oh three months or so. Relatively new releases. Yeah, I, wanna, I, think, I think we're going to talk about. I think we've decided to focus on uh, new releases, um, mostly in classical and jazz. Although we have broader interests than that yeah um, we'll probably bring some other so if there's other in. genres that we think are um, particularly appealing uh, so new material it could be something that's uh, never been released before there's some recently uh, newly discovered old jazz recordings yeah, there was so, a Coltrane one a couple of years ago and there yeah, was so an Art Blakey one something that's out there freshly new whether it was recorded recently or not right basically new releases new releases okay. that's right and you know the, the music the repertoire especially these days in classical music everything is being recorded now and the it's just the, the 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 sheer volume of releases is so vast that I think we have to kind of limit ourselves to uh, just what's recent that's and, right yeah. yeah otherwise we'll just go crazy we'll go crazy yeah um, we should also mention um, you you'd mentioned um I don't that I don't have a turntable. That is correct. Okay, being a big classical music listener, I don't really like listening to classical music on vinyl because it kind of the high end gets lost. And classical music has a wide dynamic range, as we know. If you're listening to an orchestral recording, um, you're, you're getting a a pretty good uh, look at the uh, the whole frequency of audible sound. You know, even into the uh, overtones that go beyond your hearing. And I don't, I don't think vinyl kind of reproduces that well. People kind of say, "Oh, it sounds warmer and stuff," and yeah, I, I kind of get that. But I still would prefer to hear the whole, the whole spectrum. And I feel like uh, digital does that a lot better. I still collect CDs. I mean, I'm kind of streaming now, but I like collecting CDs because I like having the music I'm listening to, so I can revisit it or have a memory of it. But you know, streaming is really for me just for sampling. You know, I kind of because I'll just forget. Your albums from just streaming everything. Yeah, I'm a little bit different. Oh, well, I gave up my vinyl habit uh, when I came to Japan. Mm. You know, I have a collection of records back in New York, but mm. uh, you know, it wasn't practical to uh, send them at the time. And um, then I had gotten into CDs and later SACD. Um, actually, I, although I do buy classical releases. Uh, occasionally i listen to most of my classical on streaming and there's a lot of things that um i probably wouldn't plan on buying but i enjoy listening to it occasionally on streaming yeah. and um purchasing actually i i tend to buy a lot more uh used and older things that aren't available 
on streaming and sometimes you can't even buy them new anymore right. and uh, in japan we're blessed with uh really excellent uh, used record shops so yeah. they're worth scouring through yeah. and i find some uh you know real gems that uh aren't around anymore um but you know i, I still uh i still buy uh you know a few cds a month i think so um but yeah streaming has certainly been a a great way to uh, discover music and also learn about music, especially with classical music, I find, because I may have only one recorded version of a piece and I'd like to hear how someone else interprets it or a different ensemble, something like that. And uh, rather than have to buy you know, more recordings of the same piece or something, it's uh, opened my ears to uh, different interpretations of things, uh, different orchestras playing things. So... Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, streaming, but um, yeah, it's it's very changeable, uh, both in terms of the format, services, catalog. Um, if you buy specialized streaming equipment, uh, some of the uh, components that were made seven or eight years ago are already um, obsolete now because they don't incorporate the latest features. So it's sort of a still a wild west of where things are going as far as formats go. But, yeah. Um, yeah, the the good points are that I'm listening more to a, a larger variety of things than ever before. So. Yeah, me too. So That's here we are. Thing. We're just gonna try to sort that all out here. So, hopefully, hopefully people will be listening, and you guys. Yeah, can, hope so. You can comment, and you know, maybe yeah, even recommend even more yeah. things that we can listen to. So I, I, our basic plan is probably to come in with maybe three releases on future. Um, podcasts and talk about those but uh just to get things rolling mm. uh and since we're doing this one live in the studio today <laughs> live um, in our our secret mountain lair secret mountain lair that uh we would just start with two this week and i guess the theme would be uh piano this time yeah we, we just happened to have chosen, two piano, to have chosen two piano recordings uh one classical and one jazz yeah, my so, favorite instrument by the way so i'm listening to a lot of piano this yeah. uh recently maybe because there's so many good new recordings of piano music mm. um but you've got a fresh one uh that you've brought along and we happen to have just uh listened to it freshly as well so why don't you introduce uh yeah, it's kind of a funny choice. It's, it's, okay, this is a classical one. It's Stephen Huff, the pianist. And uh, it's his new release, Vida Breve, okay, which is um, a program of music that sort of talks about, what would you say, the um, brevity of life, okay, and, and deals with death, too. That's right, yeah. He, so in his Starting in, on a high note, folks. In his uh, introduction there, he mentions, um, yeah, the end of life as the theme, which sounds kind of dark although i don't think it's a dark program necessarily speaking of adult music this yes. is really the adultest of themes yes the you know, that you can themes. have okay the your impending <laughs> i'm not even gonna go there all right anyway um vida breve okay so um yeah, we gave this a listen it's a mixed program it's uh, pieces of of piano music um, that deal with the um you know the the brevity of life or even death and uh the program is fascinating it's really excellent okay the uh it has um Bach Bassoonie Chacon from you know Bach Chacon from the partita the violin partita number 2 and it's uh Bussoni's arrangement of it which is um how how shall we say um if we're going to be charitable we'll say it's monumental 
And yes. if we don't want to be charitable, we could say bombastic. But I guess it depends on who's playing it. There's a lot of um, mm. very thickly textured chords in there. And yeah. uh, his performance of it, uh, the uh, oh, the dynamics are uh, yeah, really surprising. Uh, the volume. Uh, yeah, I should mention, I'm a big fan of this pianist, Stephen Hoff. I have um, CDs of every um record he's released okay so i really look forward every album he's released and i look forward to these when they come out i just buy them without hearing them because i i just like this pianist a lot and this is a pretty surprising album it's it's as far as um programming goes it's consistent with his very inventive sort of um uh way of thinking about a program but uh this particular one, he's his playing is very different. It's it's a wide, wide dynamic range. In fact, I've never heard him play this loud before. Yeah, that's this right. Loudly, and <laughs> and um, I think I don't know if that was strategic in the sort of um, technique of recording, but it, it sounds uh, rather different from his other recordings in terms of sonics. Yeah, uh, I felt listening to it that. Uh, the, the microphones are rather distant. Yeah. Um, maybe because mm. he was playing, you know, at really heavily on those pieces um, in order to get the levels right. But it, it also does seem to have, you know, changed the uh, sort of timbre of the piano in uh, a little unusual way, at least when, when it, we were listening to it on my it, system. It sounds like distanced. Yeah. yeah. I heard this on, on headphones uh, earlier yeah. too. Um, it, it sounds... Sort of like you're sitting, what did you say, in the middle of a... I thought I would be in the middle of, uh, I think it's recorded in uh, the churches listed there. Yeah, I was thinking concert hall, but it's actually, I have the, uh, I can't see what this is. Um, It was recorded in a church. Yes. Yeah. I think I read that there. So, yeah, the the playing, of course, is... In an apparently cavernous church. (laughs) Because it's... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his his playing is always... uh, yeah, top notch. But um, mm-hmm. the uh, the recording quality on this one, I uh, until I also felt a change on the last two uh, pieces, which you said were meant to be taken as an encore, the Korean uh, song piece, and then um, yeah, there's a Bach Gunu yeah Gunu um, and and those are transcription. Okay. Those are played rather softly in comparison with the other with the Chopin and the. Uh, the book. and also, we also yeah in fact let me just before we get into that let's get let's get into the rest of the program uh he plays uh chopin's second piano sonata the one with the funeral march in it right and that comes he plays it pretty fast yeah, actually the I tempo thought. Is, I saying, is quicker than most little, of their recordings yeah quicker right. than most uh lists uh funeray which is kind of uh, written for chopin's um on Chopin's death, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, bagatelle sans tonalité bagatelle without tonality that's um it's it's kind of labeled as Mephisto. One of the Mephisto waltzes. List uh, did a few of these, and that that involves the devil. Okay, mm. so there you go. Also <laughs> dealing with death. Yeah. Okay, Bassoni's Camera Fantasy Uber Carmen. Okay, and uh, then we get to Stephen Huff's uh, Piano Sonata Number no. Four, subtitled Vida Breve, and this is really the centerpiece of the recording. Yeah, that was um, that was uh, interesting. I we both enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I liked it too. Yeah. Now Huff, he he's he's um, Stephen Huff has, has uh, composed a few works, and I never really liked them much. But I did like this one. This one it's it, it sounds a little different than the earlier ones that I heard. Um, it's very chimey actually. It's got a lot of sort of 
bell type uh, sonorities in it. Yes, yeah. Um, and I guess the church atmosphere, the cavernous kind of atmosphere, sort of serves that. But again, he plays very loudly at certain points. Yeah, the chords. Yeah. The, mm. This sort of contrast of um, sort of chordal passages, and mm. then these running uh, lines. Uh, yeah. Some interesting modal kind of changes in it too and yeah. then um the ending is there's uh, some contrapuntal writing in it and there's these gigantic yes. chords and, yeah you know, it's it's there's a lot of a, it's there's a lot of contrast in it i liked yeah, that I liked about it, it too there's and a lightness I, to it and then also um a more serious heaviness and then i guess going with the brevity theme it's it you're not really ready for the ending to come. It cuts and off it cuts at the off. end. Yeah, uh, so. I wonder if what he was thinking about that. You know, maybe one day we could talk to him. Uh, yeah. It just kind of stops it just, you know, without any final chord yeah. or anything. But I did enjoy it. I'd like to listen to it again. Yeah, yeah I'd hear this again. Um, I thought I thought the recording, though, the the sheer volume that he's playing at, is, it was really kind of surprising yes. to me because he usually... He usually doesn't play like that. No, this no. is really a little bit of a departure for him. Yeah. So we're not really hearing his tone very much because the piano is very far away. Yeah. So in some ways, you know, th there are things to, to criticize about the recording. But overall, I really liked it. Yeah, you the know. musical program is very fun and uh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So after his um, piano sonata, then the, the last two pieces are very short. And he says... He had written to think of them as an encore. So there's a Korean piece uh, called Adi Dang, which is apparently um, very old. Mm. Uh, I think it, it's traditional. And so he plays that. And then the, there's the Bach Gono, the famous um, uh, meditation on the uh, on the uh, the Ave Maria set right. to um, Bach's first uh, prelude in the Well-Tempered Clavier. But this one is a little different than the one we're familiar with because uh, Stephen Hoff has arranged it further i'm not really sure what he did but um it, it was it, it's subtle yeah it's it's mm. uh it definitely the last two pieces the mood changes and then yes absolutely takes you out and um a little you know, more soft meditative. dynamics yeah and i also felt the tone of the piano is different yeah i don't know if they changed the microphone position for those two pieces but um, yeah it, it sounded more like his other recordings yeah we're not getting uh, yeah. the close um, miking that we generally get from no. a stephen huff um album right. Okay, so recommended, I would say. I'd recommend yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's really I'll listen good. to it again. It's getting rave reviews, and uh, I kind of thought they should have said that the review should have said something about the sound because I, I thought that was kind of an, uh, it's a questionable choice, I would say. I don't know, but I don't want to complain. It was, it's a, mm. it's a great record. I'll like definitely it. hear it again. Enjoyed it. Okay. We should we should um, kind of list that somewhere so that people know what it is all right so that's one and we're only going to do one more today uh what's what's the second album uh we'll move to a jazz selection something that came out at the end of uh, january the 29th i mm. think and um this is um a uh, jazz duo the uh italian pianist uh enrico pieranunzi Enrico Pieranunzi. That's right. He's a born. He's from. He's Roman. He's I think, born right? in Rome. Yes, yeah. and um, he's uh, been recording since the seventies uh, with lots of um, famous jazz artists, uh, including Chet Baker yeah. and um, uh, Phil Woods, yeah. also too. Be being American, actually, both as both of us are, I'm always. I personally always find it interesting to hear like non-American jazz musicians, like what they're going to do, because they'll yes. usually put something a little more. That's right. Or a little different into their their and, playing. Um, it's truly a um, 
you know, jazz is truly international yeah. uh, now. And then uh, along with him is the Danish bassist uh, Thomas Fonisbeck. Okay. I think I'm saying that right. And, um, <clears throat> well, uh, Pierre Nunzi is uh, greatly influenced by Bill Evans uh, in, in general. And this album, uh, which is called The Real You, uh, is on Stunt Records, and it's a tribute to Bill Evans. Yeah. And uh, we listened to it. And, so you have um, the, the, you know, the the Bill Evans Eddie Gomez partnership right. sort of being modeled here. Yes, yeah. they're, they're duo albums. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of in that spirit, and uh, it's I've, I found that um, his playing obviously is uh, a tribute to Bill Evans, and the influences are very clear. But um, there's enough of his own original character and uh his uh technique and uh stylings that uh you know doesn't you don't sound like it doesn't sound like you're listening to bill evans no but, actually it um, sounds like a, a classical pianist in a lot yes, of it yeah, lot he's of got it. a really solid classical technique you, know, right. that you hear at some points and so uh on the album it includes two bill evans compositions and then uh, the rest of them are uh by uh Either Pianzi or Fonisbach, so originals. Okay. Um, and uh, but there's some sort of also uh, interesting tributes. Uh, well, everyone knows Bill Evans often recorded uh, "My Foolish Heart," and so they have a piece called "Our Foolish Heart." Oh, nice. So it's in that vein. And then we the the last piece uh, on the album is called uh, "Bill and Bach," and um, it starts out in a Bill Evans kind of. Uh, yeah. Style a jazz piece, but in the middle it sort of uh, takes up a. a sort of Bach type of theme yeah. and becomes uh, classical and then uh, comes back into a jazzy kind of thing again. Yeah, it's got that ternary yeah. classical form there. Yeah. It's so, this Bill Bach Bill, it kind of goes. Yeah, the, overall, it's a really nice album to listen to. And um, yeah, I liked it a lot. The sound quality, sound too, quality was really excellent. great. Yeah, and it's really what, nice and warm. And I also, on some uh, recordings with just piano and bass or particularly recordings without drums when you don't have the cymbals constantly uh, ringing there it's a different kind of experience and you kind of sense more space mm -hmm. uh, between the parts and you can hear the uh, other parts very clearly yeah. and you can also hear the sort of counterpoint things they're doing with the bass and the right. piano and when the melody goes to the bass and uh, yeah he's just a, a very enjoyable player to listen to effortless technique um, and then, uh, you know, sometimes he's uh, using you know, some of the stylistic phrasings and uh, lines that Bill Evans, uh, you, you would be familiar with through his recordings. And then you can hear some of his own uh, sort of uh, improvisations uh, mixed in with that. So it's, I just felt it was a really nice balance, you know, doing a tribute to someone. It's sort of... Um, it can be a difficult uh, sort of endeavor. You know, how, mu how much am I going to... Uh, copy or um, emulate the artist and how, and also you could be erring on the side of being too original and then it's not a tribute after all but I right. thought oh, this one hits the perfect balance uh, it's got a nice uh, enjoyable feeling through it and as you said the sound quality is top notch right. and I'm not familiar with uh, stunt record label but um, yeah, I'll be interested to see uh, more uh, what they have to offer. We, we also noticed that uh, that although that was release, uh, released in uh, this year, he also yeah, has another release um, 
Afterglow. Afterglow. Which, yeah, we, yeah, we haven't heard this yeah, one yet. Yeah, we haven't yet. heard that yet, mm. but that appears to be another duo, but uh, piano and trumpet uh, with uh, Bert Joris. And so, Russ being a trumpet player, yes. I'm uh, imagining we're going to hear this one. That's right. And be talking about it. That's right. And, okay. uh, of course, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, trumpet players uh, is the Italian trumpet player Fabrizio Bosso. Yeah. So uh, we'll probably be talking about him at some time, too. I have a Christmas so, album by him. It's oh, yeah, really yeah. good. He has... Uh, He's, 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 yeah, he's, he's got good. all the technique and a lot yeah. of humor and an awesome sound. And uh, yeah, he deserves to be uh, more w- widely known and appreciated. Okay, uh, we'll have so. to start tracking him there because I am right. interested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, um, speaking of Italian jazz musicians, I stay in a, when I go to Rome, uh, and the, as I will occasionally do when we're not you know, locked in Japan where you can't leave. Um, I, I stay at the a hotel where um, one of the, um, how would you say, the concierge, I guess, the people right. behind the desk. Is that what they are? I don't even yeah. I don't know. But uh, he's a big jazz fan, and uh, he kind of gave me this. And I said, well, why don't you recommend some, uh, you know, Italian jazz musicians for me to listen to? I don't really know anything about it. And he he, he gave me this two-page list <laughs> that, of people that I'm actually starting to get to know some of them a little bit right. now, but uh, boy, what a it's a it's a lifetime of um, <laughs> discovery that yeah. got ahead of me now. That's right. Okay, so I guess so we're going to do more than this uh, in the future, but that's this right. is just sort of a little taste of. Uh, that's right. We just wanted sort of to uh, introduce about. ourselves and um, get started like this uh, live together, and uh, we All think right. we can do this uh, flexibly and remotely. And maybe have some guests in the future. Well, and, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Well, <laughs> well, it's a, well, what we want, but let's see we'll what see happens. See how it goes. But yeah. we certainly have uh, a ton more music uh, that we can uh, talk about. And uh, if the releases keep coming, especially in classical music like this last year, um, yeah, it's a struggle to just listen to all the things that I want to. So yeah, I just want to say, twenty twenty. You know, we we had the. Um, the COVID-19, we were all locked down. So I wound up listening to a lot of music and boy, was there a lot of really good classical music yes. last year. I'm hoping that's going to continue, but that's right. we'll see. And uh, I'm excited hmm. um, with uh, some of the new, newer uh, jazz recording labels, especially Smoke yeah. uh, Record Sessions. There's Smoke a, Sessions, right? That's right. Yeah. There's, uh, there's some uh, great things that came out at the end of last year in October and November. Peter Bernstein hmm. and um, uh, Eric Reed had a new uh, release to pianist and uh, there's some new things coming out in the spring so uh, I'll be uh, looking for those and hopefully bring a few of those along to talk about as well okay well thanks for listening and uh, we hope you enjoyed that and we'll see you soon that's right see you on episode 2 coming soon (laughs) 